It is week three of the 2023 college football season. This is the We Hate Your Team podcast. I'm Kelly Ford, and with me, as always, is my friend and co-host, Zach King. Kinger, how we doing this week? Doing all right, man. Hanging in there. Been a little bit under the weather the last couple days, but hopefully we're on the ups from that. Getting ready, hitting hump day today, only a couple more days away. Well, actually, the college floor, the week does start tomorrow, but a few more days away now until week three begins. I will admit, I think it's fair to be transparent on this podcast. It's not the most attractive slate this weekend. There's a handful of games, it, it, it probably each time slot, that are watchable, but if you're looking for marquee matchups and kind of these big games that we've been accustomed to these first couple weeks of the season, maybe not the case here in week three, but that doesn't diminish it. Still some very good, high-quality matchups this week for sure. I'm actually glad you said that, Zach, because I have said this on every single podcast that I've been on this week, every single radio hit, every single whatever. I will give it to you, and I will give it to everyone out there saying it. This is not the most dynamic slate of a college football Saturday that we've seen. It perhaps lacks some of the marquee matchups, some of the the Titans clashing, if you will. But I, I immediately follow that up with, I'm giving you that, but listen to me here. We only get 13 full college football Saturdays in the year. Yes, we get week zero, and that's cool. And yes, we get Army-Navy, and that's cool. And yes, we get Conference Championship Weekend, and that's cool. We only get 13 where you have noon Eastern to well past midnight on the East Coast of college football on all five screens in my setup and across the country. Please, please, please do not take any of these for granted. I don't care what games are on there. Someone even said, oh, man, it's Slate's week. This is kind of a weekend for a good uh, fall wedding. That's almost an immediate just like auto mute for me. I didn't do it. I resisted. But I was like, dude, please do not take this for granted. King, also, these are the kind of weeks that spell college football chaos. Like these are the types of weeks that people are like, oh, it's a sleepy week. There's not a whole lot. I just, I'm telling you, over the course of college football history this last 10 years, these are the weeks that produce those big upsets. I'm looking forward to it, man. You talk about watchability. I've got my watchability article up on thelines.com. You can see which games are the best in each time slot. We're going to talk about a lot of them here tonight. But yeah, man. Don't give me, I know you're not saying it. Don't give me that sleepy thing, right? Like, come on. Look, I knew that's exactly where we were going, and I am in agreement with you that we got to cherish the the regular season. We only got limited opportunities here, but hey, we're not afraid to call a spade a spade. And if you were to pick, you know, pick the weekly matchups one through thirteen or week zero through week thirteen, this is definitely going to be on the lower end of it, right? And it is. You look, some of these teams had their big marquee matchups already. It's the last week in non-conference before we really start to dive into the 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 heart of the conference season there. And there's plenty to there's plenty to like. There's still plenty of intriguing matchups, but this is not a day that you sit down and there is one individual matchup or two or three individual matchups that really blow you away. That's just a fact. And 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 uh, I know it maybe doesn't sit 100% well that some people are out there saying those things, Kelly, right? The cliche is this is a perfect weekend to go do something with your significant other. I don't know if we're quite in that position, but uh, it, it's it's definitely not what we've, we've looked at the first few weeks of the year. It is the perfect weekend to go do something with your significant other on Sunday. And that's the case every single weekend, in my opinion. Zach, I could sit here and banter with you all night. I am so excited, though. We have to get our guest in here. Zach, he's someone I've wanted to bring on for a long time because he is someone who I have looked up to in the college football predictive analytics space since before I was in it. Uh, There are really, in my opinion, two godfathers of college football analytics. That's what I call them. There are two of them. And I'm going to list them not necessarily in priority order, but for dramatic effect here. One of them is Bill Connolly. Uh, He produces SP Plus, used to be S&P Plus. He's over at ESPN, uh, Football Outsiders, all that stuff prior. The other one is our guest tonight. And I am so excited to bring in Brian Fromeau. He is the proprietor of FEI, one of the two gold standard 
college football predictive analytic metrics out there, in my humble opinion. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. I am so excited you are here. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me and Kelly. Those are those are very very kind words. Uh, I just happy to be happy to talk in college football. And frankly, whether I'm a godfather or just one of many who are now part of this college football analytics space, that's it's really just a fun thing to to both crunch numbers and, and talk about the game. So thanks for having me. Brian, we couldn't be more happy. And he's being too humble for those listening. He talks about the college football analytics community. I am telling you all right now, without Bill and Brian, it does not look like it looks today. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but they were the first two in this space way back 2007. I think Brian was the first year you started producing your numbers, at least publicly. Um, and I've been following it ever since. So I am so excited you're here. Like I said, Brian, I know a lot about your story, but I got lots of questions that I know we're going to get to. For our listeners that may not be as familiar with you, and I would encourage you, if you follow me on Twitter and you enjoy the work that I do, and you're not already following Brian, please, please go follow Brian. Brian, start with what's your Twitter handle and what's your website, because it's awesome, so that people can check that out. But then the floor is yours, man. Tell us about, you know, how'd you get started in college football analytics? Why did you get started in college football analytics? And just take it away. Our listeners and I uh, really want to hear from you. <laughs> all right, I'll do that. Uh, well, first of all, you certainly follow me on Twitter. Uh, BC Fremo, F-R-E-M-E-A-U, um, is my handle. I, I post all of my numbers at my website, bcftoys.com. Uh, like many, I'm posting everything from uh, outcomes of games divided into offense, defense, special teams, ratings, et cetera, et cetera, plus projections for games and and really any way to, to kind of slice and dice college football data that uh, I'm interested in. And, and especially when I can, we can kind of visualize uh, the data, I like, to, I like to plug that kind of stuff too. So certainly check those things out and, and read all about it. Um, you asked about like, you know, uh, getting started in, in, in this space. You mentioned 2007 is when I really was, I guess, um, on anyone's map. I started writing for footballoutsiders.com that year and I've been all of my ratings uh, and, and data analytics date back on my website to 2007 because that's really when my first kind of full data sets were were published and it was and I've been maintaining that that, that data ever since. But I really started five six years before that. Um, I've been I've been at this with a spreadsheet of some kind uh, working through college football data since 2002 2003 i think i don't know if there's an official uh date in which i first shared numbers with someone but it started with a my brothers and my dad uh basically arguing about notre dame football and and in in 2003 was not a good year for notre dame football there were not there were a lot of lean years in, in that era and uh I was really just trying to answer data questions that I that a that that a box score really was kind of insufficient to do. I wanted to know things about uh, field position and turnovers and momentum and things that I I thought we might be able to to answer arguments with. And so I just started collecting data, and it really was for that purpose um, and a very small audience. And it took I think uh, a nudge from my older brother to say, "You really should start publishing this stuff because someone else is going to get in on it." and uh, and I eventually got linked up with Football Outsiders. Um, I uh, my official official memory of uh, of starting this was a I'm a Notre Dame fan and I'm uh, a lifelong Notre Dame fan and I was at a, a 2002 game in which uh, it's burned in my memory. It's all the bad memories are <laughs> uh, in college football, but. Uh, 
Notre Dame was off to a hot start that season. Um, uh, a little bit of smoke and mirrors, but certainly, uh, you know, rising in the polls and, and having a heck of a year. And, and they go up against Boston College. And I sat in the stadium that day and watched the team lose 14 to 7 to Boston College without allowing the Eagles to cross midfield on offense. And it was the most kind of baffling box score you'd, you'd ever imagine. It involved, of course, a long fumble return. It involved, you know, a lot of red zone failures and or decisions to kick when we should have gone for it and decisions to go for it when we should have kicked. And it was like basically all the stuff that if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're nuts about college football and you're nuts about a team and you can't explain what just happened uh, for three and a half hours in front of you, at least in my case, I'm turning to the numbers. And that's really kind of what kickstarted me um, officially uh, looking into this stuff. But um, yeah, and I've been at it for a while. I mean, I, I, I post my, all my data is based in, in, in drive success and possession uh, um, results. I don't track individual play level data. I don't track individual personnel level data. I know folks like Bill Connolly and many others do a lot more uh, of that kind of work. I've focused from the jump on what happens when you have the ball and what happens when the opponent has the ball. You, you should get pretty much an even number of possessions over the course of a season, over a course of a game. Um, what do you do with those? Uh, do you maximize them? And it has, it's not just about, it's certainly about putting points on the scoreboard in order to, to win, but it's also about, are you good at moving the ball into scoring position? Are you good at flipping the field from a, a very disadvantaged uh, uh, position deep in your own territory into a place where you can leverage field position and, and, and flip the field? So that's the core data I collect. And, and I now have, you know, a few hundred thousand drives in a database uh, over, over over a long period of time that you can kind of make both general assumptions and, and, and not assumptions, but uh, analysis of college football and how it trends, but also evaluate individual teams. So I'll stop there and certainly uh, kick it to you if, if you got if you want to dig deeper on any of that. But that's really what what my data is about. And, and, and hopefully that's that's what people are uh, that are still interested in, because uh, I still I still get people looking for the same kinds of numbers every year. So I'll keep cranking them out because they are so cool. And I love digging into your website every single week, Brian, and seeing what you have going on. I talk about this, you know, pretty openly. I have about, you know, half a dozen metrics that I use as benchmarks to see what are these other models saying about, and from a power ratings perspective, the college football teams relative to what mine are saying. And yours, FEI, is one of those. So I'm in there every single week kind of figuring out where are the big differences? Why do we have these differences? Things like that. Zach, I'm going to ask the first question. I promise I'm going to let you get in here. I, no. I really am. <laughs> yeah. um, Brian, it's a two-part question. And uh, you can take it in either order. You've been doing this publicly and with, with uh, saved data now since 2007. So more than 15 years you've been doing this. What is the one thing, and I'm sure there are many, what is the one thing that you have learned or, or seen throughout this process that has changed the most from when you started out? And maybe it's, hey, I wasn't even considering this at all. And now I find it to be very, very informative or very predictive, very important. And then what is one thing that even back in 2007 was like, yeah, this seems to be, you know, pretty informative, pretty predictive, strong predictive power. And that has carried through from that time to now. So it's two ends. What have you found throughout this process to be predictive? And what has been since the beginning something that continues to be um, a, a large part of your of your model? Those are good questions. And, and I, I sometimes feel underprepared to answer those because though I have this big, uh, kind of a big picture sense of, of this data, I don't know that I focus on the, what have I really learned here? But there are some trends over time. Um, 
I mean, I, I right on my homepage on my website, I've got um, the, the collection of data divided into basically scoring for every team. You throw them all into one spreadsheet, scoring by starting field position. And it is, uh, in terms of a reliable uh, expectation, you start on your own one-yard line or you start on the opponent's 10-yard line. There's a pretty strong curve if you collect all this data that teams should score this often, or they do score this often, I should say, um, from all these positions. And um, it's not maybe a, a dramatic insight to know that you're better off starting on, in plus territory than, than deep in your own end zone, but that the reliability of that data over time is certainly something I maybe didn't expect when I was first collecting. I thought there would be... Uh, perhaps some bigger swings from year to year, especially with you know, rules changes or uh, when offenses start uh, um, kind of dominating versus an era when defenses are dominating, that you would think some data points would shift more dramatically in that camp than others. But in, in reality, you know, the, the scoring rates from your own 20-yard line have pretty much remained consistent over the, over the last, uh, last 20 years. Not for every team, but when you collect all the 133 teams together, this is what an average team is expected to do. And so I've based my numbers uh, all along on, on, on basically that kind of fundamental knowledge of this is, this is what success is supposed to look like. Are you better than that or are you worse than that? Are you, are, are you better than that uh, on defense versus offense? Um, so I guess that's one thing that I, I, I guess I've learned. I don't know if that that's that's so much as a, of a change, so much as actually it's it's kind of comforting to know that it mm-hmm. is pretty reliable year to year. Someone just pinged me on Twitter today to say, "All right, we got rules changes. Um, we've got uh, with a clock changing, uh, it's affecting the number of plays, the number of possessions." And his question was, "What about points per drive? Is that changing?" And and so far, it's it's only week two. We're not we're not we don't have a hardy data set yet for this year but we're pretty much in the same line. Teams are scoring mm-hmm. about 2.2 points per drive. That's what they have been for for every two, five, 10 year segment you could cut over the last, uh, last 15 years. And in that sense, there's something reliable about being able to then compare teams era to era, year to year uh, that I like. And, and I guess that's both surprising and, and made and expected in its own way. I love it. BCFtoys.com, guys. I'm looking at it right now. You can you can see visually what Brian's talking about. BCFtoys.com. Check it out. There is so much good information on there. King, I have some more questions, but I'm letting you hop in. I promised I would. <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. I appreciate it. So, Brian, I love the backstory. <laughs> like you said, how this all started, literally just sitting at home trying to debate and dive more into Notre Dame football with your family. So my question to you is, is obviously, this is the whole process. It's a whole big trial and error refinement process. How long would you say it took you to really say to my to say to yourself, look, I might actually have something going here. That's a yeah, that's a good question. Certainly, because I did start out just sharing with with a small circle, there was probably two years of skepticism, both within the, that closed circle of uh, of family and and even doubt that, like, well, my numbers aren't matching the AP poll or or, if, or the BCS standings, and I'm wondering. Is that because I've got something good or does that mean I've got something that's not so good? And that was hard to kind of sort out. I, it took there was the confidence boost really was getting linked up with football outsiders because on the one hand, I, I think I first connected with Aaron Schatz, who, who founded that um, back in. I, I think I first reached out to him in maybe 2000, early 2006 um, to say, Hey, I came across your website. I'm not that into the NFL, but I'm obviously into the same kind of 
eye on the game that you are, any words of advice was really kind of the, the, this kind of shot in the dark reach out. And he, he was very kind, not only to respond, but to say, hey, we don't have much college content. Are you interested in writing a guest column and seeing if it if it lands? And And that was the opening for me to say, oh, I guess I got to get my act together and, mm-hmm. and right. write something that I can put out there and trust that I'm going to use the feedback because those that first that first piece was like, I think the very first thing I published was something to simply introduce the world to the to what I called the Fermo Efficiency Index, FEI. And it got some pretty harsh feedback from from what, what was a seasoned audience reading DVOA, stuff that Aaron had been working on and publishing for several years at that point saying, well, this looks like a DVOA light. Uh, I don't know what's got any value. And college football's crazy compared to the NFL. How could it possibly be useful? I, I, I made some missteps early on. I, I, I literally stated in that first article that I didn't think home field advantage meant anything. Like it was this. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't say it because I was trying to be provocative. I just was like, I couldn't figure out how to use it. So here's how why I'm not, here's what I'm going to do with it. And, but there were also, in addition to some of the harsh criticism, there was also some, um, some like well, encouraging stuff. Like I want to know more about that. I didn't realize that the game in college football had this thing that you are, you saw that might be a little different than what we see in, in, in the NFL. And, and that got me basically new questions raised out of that, out of that feedback uh, helped help both motivate me. The other thing that I, that I really like to tell is like a very serendipitous story at football outsiders. And so my first, column was a guest column in the middle of the 2006 season. And the second guest column I wrote was a bowl preview, which I had never done like a game projection article before. And this was the 2006 bowl season. And for those college football fans might very fondly remember the very famous Fiesta Bowl, Boise State, Oklahoma. And my numbers pick Boise State to win. And I put that out there. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure you got shredded, right? I got shredded. I got shredded. They're like, you got to be kidding me. And, and I was like, this is completely like, I didn't have anything to rely on. I didn't have 10 years or 15 years or even a year of, I know these numbers are good. It was, and it's bowl season. Bowl season's a little bit of a crapshoot anyway, but there was something about the article that both triggered people, but also when that result came in, it was a little bit of credibility, even though it was kind of unearned and a little bit random. I mean, I, 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 I didn't ride that wave to like, uh, you know, becoming famous or anything, but I did, it did latch onto some people that said, Oh, there might be something in these numbers that, that you did pull out. And so again, the following year I started writing full time for them and, and I guess the rest is history, but that, um, yeah, I'm rambling a little bit. Uh, I think you, so, but how did you, how did you get from point A to point B? It took many years, frankly. And I know folks today who, I mean, I, I get, connected sometimes with either college students who are who are clearly getting started or are interested in this. Um, some people are writing uh, or frankly studying uh, uh, analytics in college in a, in, a, in a field that I wish existed when I was a student because I would be all over it. Um, but I'm I'm encouraged that there are there's like this college football data community that has formed over the years and whether it's it's just a few of us, if it's a growing number of us, if it explodes into something more, um, I'm just like, it's kind of cool to see, oh, there's somebody else posting something cool and there's something else interesting to look at. And when there's some consensus that's found there, that's encouraging. When there's some disagreement, it's like, oh, I want to know more about why why that's different. Now, Kelly, you, 
you're probably doing some of that just like I am. Like I'm looking at your numbers. I'm looking at <laughs> others too for the same reasons. It's like, are we off the mark? Is somebody seeing something interesting in, in, uh, in UMass that I'm not like, <laughs> where's that number coming from? And, and that, Again, it's very it's it, it's it's nerdy in in its own way. My kids make fun of me because uh, oh, dad, dad dad's uh, dad's talking to some sports nerds again tonight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. but, but the idea that like oh, there's a community out there is kind of it's kind of cool, and and obviously people are latching onto it. So yeah, it's fun. That is awesome, Brian. And yes, uh, some sports nerds tonight. That's amazing. Hey, King, do you know that? You into, a, into King, that, Zach. I know you're King, you're a sports nerd oh, tonight. How about that? I love it. I love that I'm lumped in. Hey, I'm proud to be a part of that 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 title right there. It can't, it can't help but rub off on Zach. He spends enough time with me and all the guests we bring in, obviously. He's, I already he's told you, man. I'm now. looking at numbers. I'm looking at things I'd never looked at before. It. That's all it took was a year and a half with you, and now you got my brain all in a, all in a scramble trying to figure out what I sh- how I should look at these games. It's amazing. Brian, um, in the interest of time, I'll keep my – I do have two more. I'll keep them quick, though, because um, I, I, I could do this forever. One of my biggest regrets as it – listening to hear, hey, college kids reach out, all this. One of my biggest regrets is I just didn't reach out to Brian sooner. It's just like, hey, I'm Kelly. I'm interested in this stuff. What's going on? Like, any advice for me or whatever? And, uh, uh, oh, well, live and learn. I'm glad we're connected now, and I'm glad you're here sharing your story. You talked about that Boise State-Oklahoma game. It was the 2006 season, 2006 bowl season. Guys, that happened on January 1, 2007. We should have known the 2007 college football season was going to be what it ended up being after that Fiesta Bowl. I mean, my gosh, that 2007 calendar year, not just the the season, apparently the bowl season too, which is phenomenal. It leads me, Brian, I, I, I frequently talk about this. 2007 is my favorite college football season of all time. Uh, and my, t- my team's Ohio State. And we lost, and then Ohio State lost in the national championship that game that year. So it's not even like, oh, well, you know, Kelly likes it because it's no Ohio State lost in the biggest game of the year. I love it because we had so many upsets. There was no dominant team. The curse of the number two, all of those things. You started doing your numbers publicly in 2007. That's when you started your your database. What has been your favorite thing that you have done, experienced, written about, cataloged, whatever? What's been your number one? favorite thing that you've experienced because you've been doing FEI since 2007? What's been your favorite thing in, in the last six, 16 years? Wow. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about all the kind of, well, okay. There's a couple things that come to mind, so I'm going to cheat and not give you one, but um, I love it. One is I, you know, I, I live in South Bend, Indiana. I actually, my full-time day jobs uh, with the university. I, I, I don't travel to many other uh, games because I'm frankly, I'm working uh, our campus on, on every, pretty much every fall Saturday. However, because South Bend's a bit of a Mecca for other college football fans who come into games, like I've had great opportunities to meet people that I otherwise probably never would have, you know, if it's what sometimes it's, 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 it's stat folks who are like, Hey, I'm actually coming into the game uh, uh, this weekend. And, and, um, and getting to either meet them on campus or in the stadium or in the press box. There's certainly some media folks who, who, uh, who give me a follow and it's fun to like say, Oh, I, frankly, I appreciate that. You think my, my data is kind of useful and you reference it from time to time too. It's pretty cool that, uh, that, uh, that, that we can connect in this way. And I, so I think, it, I guess without, I guess without the FEI work that I've done, I, I, I would have a, I would have a smaller network. And in that sense, I think I would answer it to be, I guess that's the coolest thing is that it is, a, it is, there's a lot of people I only know virtually. And then and a few of those people and, may, and maybe every year it's a few more, I get to meet in person because I knew them virtually first. 
uh, that, you know, just as a human thing, that's a, that's a cool, that's a cool thing to, to, to be. So I, I don't know if that's where you're going with your question, but that's certainly, I think what comes to mind first and foremost, I met Bill Connolly once in person in my life. Now he and I have been like colleagues and friends basically for 15 years, uh, since we got linked up at football outsiders, we've been collaborators for, for that long. We've co-written articles, et cetera. We met once in, in our life and it was only cause he was passing through town on a, on a, on a big 10 road trip. And we met at the the Rockney statue outside Notre Dame stadium. And that's kind of like a, what a fun way to like, you know, interact with, uh, with, with uh, him in his circle, me in my circle and us both being part of this college data uh, world, whether we're godfathers or not. I don't, I don't again, I don't want to kind of um, emphasize that too much, but so much of like, we both kind of like to kick ideas around together. And that, that was, that's a cool moment, but that was only made possible because again, we started with a, with a data connection, but there's a place uh, to meet up here uh, as well that I found to be, it's sort of married both my worlds uh, together. It's great. I can so tell that I've made Brian so uncomfortable with the Godfather comment. And I'm not even going to apologize because it's so true. And and I, I truly feel that way. Bill, Brian, the first two to, to start doing it and have been so successful. I, a, a couple of things there, Brian. One, I cannot believe you and Bill Connolly have only met one time in person. Just <laughs> given how long you guys have been working together, working in the common space, all that stuff. I know you guys have kind of gone, gone your own path since the football outsider days and all of that. But that is remarkable to me, one. But two, and I promise listeners and Zach, I didn't give Brian any of these questions in advance. I probably should have. If I'm a good host, I probably would have given him a heads up. We didn't. Com- I didn't give him these. We didn't compare notes or answers. Brian, the answer you just gave is the answer I would give. And I have not been doing this nearly as long as you. So I am looking forward to uh, exp- continuing to expand my network. The people I've been able to meet since joining Twitter, really, and uh, and putting my K4 ratings out there publicly, people like you. Uh, that has been the most rewarding and the most fun part of it all for me. Yeah, the graphics are cool. Yeah, it's fun to debate. Best versus most deserving and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, it's fun to mute people who are being obnoxious on Twitter. Meeting the people, and, and whether that's virtually through DMs, exchanging cell phone numbers and texting, or in person, as you and I were able to meet in person up yeah. at Notre Dame a couple, a couple years ago, that is the most fun thing for me. Final question, I promise, uh, because then we got to get going into some picks. Uh, I'm transitioning to 2023 here, Brian. And it's only through two weeks, as you talked about. Uh, biggest surprise of the 2023 season for you? It could be good. It could be bad. It could be your numbers related or just your eyes. What has been the biggest surprise for you through two weeks of the 2023 college football season? Um, not surprised by the, uh, the the sort of data impact thing. I, I think I was anticipating some of the, the the way the numbers are coming back on things like drives and plays counts. It's like, oh, that's kind of what we expected. Uh, I did not expect, um, well, I did not expect the SEC to fall on its face out of the gate. Let me, I'll start with that. And, and I don't know that it's like dooming that conference to, you know, second rate status or anything like that. I, I, that would be far overstating it, but, um, but we've come to expect Alabama to be, to be a bully in a game like they, uh, like uh, last weekend against Texas. And instead they were the ones getting bullied. We come to expect, LSU uh, to carry a torch along with uh, Georgia and Alabama and Florida and uh, and Texas A&M. Like all, the, the fact that all of those uh, results so far, many of those results so far, have been perhaps the opposite of what the last five or six years especially uh, have been in college football, where the SEC's puffed its chest out and said, yeah, we're, we're the best because we win all these out-of-conference games. Um, and sometimes in dominant fashion, it's kind of flipped that script. I, 
I don't think the numbers have caught up yet. I mean, I, I phase out my preseason projections over the course of the season. It's going to be week five, six before I think, I think I see the results of those things really show up in, in the in the data sheet. I mean, Alabama's a good example of that. It's going to take a, a couple of weeks for them to actually fall <laughs> off of their perch. Uh, and that's a deliberate thing. But um, but I actually think we're going to be at season end. And I don't know about 2007 level chaos or parity, but I do think it feels like a big door swung open uh, over the first two weeks of the season uh, because of it's specifically because of the way the SEC stubbed its toes out of, uh, coming out of the out of, out of the out of the gate. One quick side follow up question to that, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. Do you think it's safe to say that the SEC is out on potentially having two playoff teams? It's never it's it's way too early to say that. <laughs> I'm I'm ready I'm ready to go there. I, I'm well I'm ready to I'm ready to open the possibility. I, but the but the thing is like because we've seen years where, yep that team's out and and by and, six weeks later oh that team's right back in it. Two weeks later <laughs> that team's right back in it. So I I'm not I'm not a I'm not a playoff proclamation guy at this point in the year. However, um, boy it sure doesn't seem likely because they are. Um, because yeah, who who are the candidates going to be? They'd have the LSU or Alabama, Alabama has to run the table. They have to run the table to, mm-hmm. to and that seems really unlikely with the, how they played in, in week uh, in weeks one and two. So um, so we'll see. Uh, but I, whereas I guess the other one I'm giving short shrift to, but not even mention them. The Pac-12 is obviously it puffed its chest out. I mean, again, not as they should. A, yeah, not not necessarily again in a shocking way. I think we all expected. Oh, there's a lot of potential here. And I'm not sure if the top end of that is gonna is going to necessarily result in a in a handful of games down the stretch in November with ten and O teams playing each other, which is possible, but not not necessarily true. I, I wonder if one is going to emerge uh, uh, finally in the end versus they all end up eleven and one or all end up eleven and or ten and two even, which would be a shame. Um, but they obviously have the depth and and uh, in a way that's um, what a swan song for that league. But the but that's a nice it's a it's a fun maybe twisted in in college football's twisted way uh, way to wrap up uh, that Pac twelve legacy. But um, but that's an exciting kind of flip of a script too. No doubt. Kinger, I'm going to give you uh, your answer to your question. I think it's too early to close that door, too. I'll give you the SEC teams with the best chance to make the playoff by my numbers currently. Georgia, number one in the country, 49% chance. So they are the most likely, but they are no longer more likely than not to make it based on my updated numbers. Alabama comes in still number 11 on this list, 13% chance. You have to go down to Ole Miss at 16 a 6% chance. I've got LSU guys at just a 1% chance to make the CFP. So it is unlikely, but I do think it's too early to close that door. Couldn't agree more with you both on the Pac-12. Brian, uh, I don't want to like rain on the parade, but the fact that they got to do that full round robin uh, with among those kind of preseason contenders, those the, the USC, the Oregon, the Washington, and uh, the, the Utah, those four teams, they all play each other in a three-game mini-round robin there. So I think what you said there, it'd be a shame if they all end up 10-2. and two. They very well could just because they all got to play each other. Um, final thing on, on the comments that, Brian, you gave there. Again, I promise we did not compare notes. You said it was the SEC and the Pac-12. That's kind of how you answered the your, your um, surprising thing here in 2023. My biggest surprise so far has been the lack of elite teams at the top 
And again, that goes to the, the maybe the lack of dominance or, or regular dominance that we see from the SEC. So these are kind of correlated uh, with regard to where we're going. But usually we have a dominant Georgia, a dominant Alabama, a dominant Clemson. During the CFP era, we don't have a dominant team or group of teams at the top. Right now, by my numbers, Georgia at number one to Oregon at number 11, separated by seven points. That's a one touchdown projected spread on a neutral field between the top 11 teams. We have not seen that in the CFP era, um, at least by my numbers. Uh, at any point, in any season, things can still change. We're only going into week three. There's a long time for these teams to round into form. But for me, that's been the biggest surprise is, yeah, sure, we do have kind of a semi-top tier of Georgia, Alabama, Florida State, Ohio State, uh, before a two-point drop to USC. But there is no team or teams that have truly separated from the pack. And usually, we've seen that happen already by this point in the season. Kinger. Brian said he is a lifelong Notre Dame fan. He now works at Notre Dame. Like You can't get this guy out of South Bend. I'm sure he's got tons of Notre Dame apparel, but you can always use more, right? Like Where can Brian go to get some more Notre Dame swag other than the campus bookstore? Brian, we're not going to let you go there. King, help him out. Where can he go? Absolutely. I mean, look, college football fans, you can never have too much gear, too much apparel for your favorite team. So that's why everybody today needs to go check out Homefield premium quality vintage college apparel. First time buyers can get 15% off with code variety sports. Again, that's 15% off with code variety sports. Everybody go out there, check them out. They got great vintage gear. High quality, as I said, everybody needs to go invest and get themselves some new home field quality apparel. I love it, King. Get on over to home field and get yourself a discount as a first-time buyer. Uh, guys, we've been going for 30 minutes, and I saw, I could have gone for 30 more, but it's time. we got to get into making some picks here. We've got six games on the docket that we really want to dive into. Then we'll do our best bets. We'll give our ESPN pickums. We'll do some other quick hitters. There's a lot still to cover. Let's dive in to the six games that we're really going to go in-depth in, and we're just going to start. We go in um, chronological order. Uh, so the order in which these games happen on Saturday, it just so happens that the number one game uh, in my watchability scores this week is the first game we're talking about. For that reason, I'm going to take it first. I am talking about LSU at Mississippi State. My numbers in this game, like LSU by seven and a half, it's a 71% win expectancy for the Tigers. LSU season got off to a shaky start, guys. 24-45 loss to then number eight Florida State in Orlando. But last week, the Tigers throttled FCS Grambling State 42, so excuse me, 72 to 10 to drop, jump back up to number 13 in my predictive power ratings. The offense has been exactly as I expected through two weeks. They're currently ranked number 10. That's exactly where they were in the preseason. The difference, though, guys, this defense has been far worse than anticipated. They've fallen from number 14 in the preseason all the way down to number 53 currently for me. That is the worst in the SEC West. That is not good. That is not what we've come to expect from LSU over the years. Uh, Brian Kelly uh, and Brian from O, I'm sure you've got uh, some comments to make about Brian Kelly here in a second too. He had a great year one. Uh, he needs to uh, get things turned around on the defensive side of the ball here in year two to have the year that he is he and the fans are expecting after home wins against FCS uh, Southeastern Louisiana and Arizona uh, in overtime, mind you, Mississippi State now faces its most difficult test of the season on both sides of the ball by my numbers. The Bulldogs' offense is number 28 and the defense is number 31. Both are within four spots of where they started the year. This team's power rating has risen from 7.6, which was number 34 in the preseason, to 9.3, which is now number 28. 
Despite the number 28 national ranking in the power ratings, Mississippi State is power rated second to last in their division ahead of only Arkansas at number 36. Guys, it's truly a gauntlet in the SEC, especially in the SEC West. You're the number 28 power rated team and you're second worst in your division of seven teams. It's absolutely insane. Recapping here, my numbers project LSU to win by seven and a half. It's a 29% chance that Mississippi State pulls off the upset at home. Zach, what do you think about this game? Yeah, Kelly, solid overview there. Don't have a ton to add to this. I mean, LSU definitely got some momentum back last week. We saw that offense kick into gear a little bit, but they do got a really tough challenge on the road at Mississippi State. Mississippi State, the Bulldogs, they're a program that's been known for the defense. This is a very aggressive downhill defense that I think is going to give Jaden Daniels and this LSU offense a little bit of a fit. Now, the big question mark for me in this game is going to be that Bulldogs offense, right? The Mike Leach air raid, that's gone. This is a now completely different brand new look for Mississippi State. I saw this week they're now sub 100 in passing offense. They're really trying to work the ball on the ground. They're really trying to get that run game going. And I think LSU getting Mason Smith back is big for them. He was suspended early in the season, I believe, for autographs as well. I still think that front seven with Harold Perkins and Mason Smith anchoring that, I think that's going to make it tough for Mississippi State to run the ball this week. They've got a very competent QB in Will Rogers. We saw the numbers he put up last year. Accurate guy throwing 35, 40 times. I don't think he's thrown over 25 times in the game this year. They're going to have to try and expose that LSU secondary, which Kelly, you talked about defense really hasn't performed up to the standards. They let Florida State completely torch them in that second half in week one. So I look for Mississippi State to try and push the ball down the field. That's how they're going to win the game here. So I like Mississippi State to cover. I said that I think that nine and a half is a lot at home, but I'd like LSU to win the game here. I think they got too much explosiveness on offense. You look at uh, you look at Mississippi State, and they did struggle versus Jaden Delora, dual threat QB for Arizona. That's what you're going to get in Jaden Daniels. I still am a believer that he can throw the ball decently well here. So I am on the Tigers this week. They get it done on the road. Brian, what do you think about this one? Well, I also am on uh, Mississippi State cover. Uh, I actually think my numbers like uh, Mississippi State a little more than yours do, Kelly, and and like LSU a little bit less. I, it's interesting. So it all caveats apply. We're 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 at week three. Almost all of the numbers <laughs> that I'm going to be referencing on my end are have a lot of preseason projection baked into them, and there's there's blind spots there. There's there's no. Uh, I'm not plugging in Mason Smith in, in, in my in my data sheet. So things things that are as a fan or as an observer of the game that we might intuitively know, it, they're blind spots in, in the numbers. But I don't think LSU, they had a good year last year. I don't want to take anything away from them. In fact, they had a great couple of uh, moments that uh, that every LSU fan would, it's probably going to hold them uh, forever. But my numbers didn't love their season last year, and they probably liked Mississippi State's a little more. And and coming out of that that Florida State game, there's a lot of like, what is this LSU team that that I think I'm genuinely asking. So I'm very curious to see what what shows up. Obviously, I don't count FCS results in 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 my data, so it's as if that blowout didn't even happen, and we're looking at an 0-1-1 team that uh, still has question marks rather than one coming off of a, of a big win. And Mississippi State uh, played with their food, didn't dominate whatever you want to call it against Arizona. Uh, they, they actually went to overtime in a game that they were, I think, plus four on turnovers, which is not necessarily a great sign. But I think all four turnovers were interceptions. So if you think about like a passing uh, attack, it may, interceptions are a little less uh, in general, a little less um, uh 
a little more reliable than fumbles in terms of being uh, uh, generating turnovers. I don't know. They could cause some problems for for LSU to keep it close. So I do have LSU winning, but but more of a more of a close one. I think I've only got them by two or three points in my numbers. Well, this is going to be a pick'em game, so we're going to assign some confidence points to it later on in the show. But for now, let's move on to our next game. And Zach, we're going to start with you here. You you asked for this game, and I couldn't agree more. It's going to be a great one. We've got Kansas State. They are going on the road to Missouri. Zach, break it down for us. Yeah, this is uh, this is probably my favorite game that I'm looking forward to watching this weekend, to be honest. And I think the main primary reason of, A, it's a great rivalry we got here, Kansas State, Missouri. But also, Kansas State's been a team that has impressed me through these first few weeks. I mean, you were to ask me at the beginning of the season, I really didn't think that Kansas State would end up in that conversation uh, at towards the top of the Big 12 at the end of the year. But I think we're a win away here from very well them them jumping their way right in that conversation, right? And you look at Kansas State, they, they FCS team week one dominated. They played Troy last week at home. Troy's not a laydown game, dominated that game as well. This is a game versus Missouri that should be a battle of the defenses. Kelly, I think you'd probably agree. These are the two, the stronger of the two units for both of these teams here. Going into this season, there were a lot of questions about the Kansas State offense. They lost some really solid weapons. Deuce Vaughn, we saw what he did for that team last year, Phillip Brooks. But I'm a believer in Will Howard, and I thought that this was going to be a solid unit, and I thought they were with a sound offensive line, very good offensive line and run game. I thought K-State was built to be able to pick up where they left off last year. So I like them to be able to move the ball against this Missouri defense, right? Missouri does have a very good front seven. They've been very good at shutting down the run up until thus far this season but they have not played an opponent with an offensive line like Kansas State. So I like Kansas State in that matchup. And if you flip it around, Missouri has also been very solid at running the ball the first couple games. They're going to have a battle in the trenches here versus that very good front seven Kansas State defense. This is a defense that, again, lost some guys last year, but they continue to build up big bodies in the middle. They've got a really good linebacking core led by Daniel Green. So ultimately, I think Kansas State is the more complete team here. Looking at Missouri offensively, I think Connor Cook's going to have to beat the Wildcats, throwing the ball that Kansas State secondary very untested up until this point into this season there was they, again they lost some guys last year as well so I look for a lot to be on Connor Cook's shoulders this week but Kansas State they're a team that's rolling I this is a game at three and a half my lines down to three and a half I'm gonna hop all over the Wildcats on this one so I think they get it done on the road Brian what do you think about this one uh, agreed on Kansas State uh, uh, taking this one I think I've got them by eight in my projection this is Again, we're leaning on priors uh, for 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 all of this, but Kansas State's a reliable, um, uh, a really reliable program. I mean, they 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 not only, you know, played pretty consistently week to week in week out to get to and win a Big Twelve championship last year, but um, I just sort of trust a team like that in a way that um, when a team like Missouri doesn't do much against middle uh in their first uh and only fbs game especially i mean transitive property is 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 not that thing not something you can lean everything on when you've got one under your belt but alabama with that 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 same middle team and, and missouri uh um didn't impress and and so i yeah i'm, I'm gonna lean on the team that i trust I, I maybe this is a little bit of that sec backslide coming into play with with missouri too um, I'm not sure Kansas State is going to be a national contender this year. I just think their head and shoulders a touchdown better than uh, better than the opponent in this one. So I'm taking the Wildcats. 
outside of Texas and Oklahoma, guys, Kansas State has the best chance to make the Big 12 championship game by my numbers. The game at Texas in Week 10 is the only game all season now in which I am projecting the Wildcats to be an underdog. So I think this is a good Kansas State team. I have the minus nine in this one. So Brian, pretty close to you. And King, I know you said you're all over them. It's a 74% win expectancy. Wildcats, up more than four points in my power ratings, have risen from number 21 to number 17. Defense has been about what I expected, still hovering in the 20s. Uh, but the offense has improved for me from number 26 to number 15. So King, I actually have this offense as slightly better than the defense relative to the other units on their sides of the ball um, across the country. They've beaten, you know, a shutout win against FCS Southeast Missouri. Really strong performance in that 42-13 win against Troy. No G5 slip-up at home this year for Kansas State. Last year, remember, they did fall to Tulane. And, and Tulane ended up being a pretty darn good team. Um, but I still have hope that this Troy team can, can end up being a pretty good team, uh, at least in the Sun Belt. So uh, we'll see. They took care of business. This is the first time the Wildcats have had to go on the road this season, um, but I do have Kansas State as just the two best units in this game, and I do expect them to get the job done. For Missouri, despite a 2-0 start, the model has not been impressed. Tigers have been downgraded nearly three points in my ratings. They've fallen from number 38 to number 51. Uh, opposite from Kansas State, the Missouri offense has been about what I expected, but it's the defense that has fallen a bit from number 20 to number 30 nationally. So that's still a good unit, but simply being good Brian, you, you touched it. It's not good enough. Like when you're in the SC, that's just not good enough. And I know Kansas State isn't an SEC team, but they are of the quality. I mean, I'm power rated number 17. That's a high quality team. Being good is not good enough against these high quality teams. The Tigers' chances to go bowling this season has decreased from 63% in the preseason. It's now a 50-50 proposition for me. Getting this win would be huge at home uh, towards their, their bowl eligibility. To recap, I have Kansas State minus nine. It's a 26% chance that Missouri pulls off the upset win at home. I got to give a quick shout out, apology to Missouri fans there. I was definitely just calling Brady Cook, Connor Cook. So that shows where my headspace was this week. Apologies, Brady. That's Everybody knows what I meant. Connor Cook made a CFP, didn't he? He yeah, did he with, with Michigan State. State. Yep, yep, yeah, that's yeah, what I had, yeah. had him mixed up. Yep. So how about that, Missouri fans? Kinger's taking you guys to the CFP. 2-0 uh, start. You're well on your way. Long way to go. Uh, Brian, you asked for this game, and I'm very glad you did because it is the one that came up just short of being an auto selection for me for this one. We have no, uh, Minnesota going on the road to North Carolina. We'll let you take this one first, Brian. Well, I feel like I need a, like a sound effect, like an air horn for an upset alert because I've got actually my numbers are kicking out. Uh, Minnesota actually pull this one off and win. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, that's that. That is a big maybe maybe bold. I mean, I think what. North Carolina might be a touchdown favorite in this one. And uh, my numbers, again, are spitting out a, a two-point win for Minnesota. Here's 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 the why. Um, my, my numbers don't like North Carolina at all. And they, they didn't last year. This is a team that had a very good, or I guess maybe even just plain good offense with an extraordinary quarterback, but not much production, uh, at least not in terms of on a possession by possession basis. That's what we talked about earlier, what my numbers are based off of. This is not a, an offense that is elite. This is an elite quarterback leading a offense that's adequate. And when you couple that with a last year was an atrocious defense um, that you, you end up with a pretty middling team. And th so those are the, those are the priors coming into the season. Is North Carolina off to a good start. Yeah. Beating South Carolina and app state is a good start that they didn't, blow me away in either of those games but winning them both is a good start and i it's very possible i'm underselling them 
At the same token, I'm probably overselling Minnesota a little bit. They were a possession darling early in the year last year and probably resulted in in being a little bit inflated uh, relative to a uh, you know stiff competition. I don't know if they would hold up, but and they've played Wisconsin and Eastern Michigan. It's not as if Minnesota's uh, got got world beaters under their belt, but they've given up a single touchdown this year, and it was on a 35-yard field. And those types of numbers are the kinds of things that say that team is going to be tough to score against. Let's see it. Let's see if an offense that isn't elite but is merely good can do something with that. So uh, I'm on upset alert. Now the other caveat I'll say is. Uh, so far, FEI's picks for outright upsets this year, I think, are only like two and six against the spread. So you can throw that one in the trash if you like, but uh, I'm picking Minnesota uh, in this one to win outright. I respect it, and I'm very intrigued by it. Guys, a week ago, my numbers gave North Carolina a 27% chance to make the ACC championship game. That was second best in the conference behind only Florida State, who has become a massive favorite for me to make that game. Then the Mountaineers from App State came to Chapel Hill and nearly pulled off an upset. Two years in a row, these two teams have gotten together and made just a phenomenal viewing game and so much fun in Boone last year and now North Carolina this year. North Carolina's power rating fell two points from number 21, number 26, and the Tar Heels now have just a 13% chance to make it to Charlotte. That is now the fifth best odds, guys, behind Florida State, Louisville, Miami, and Syracuse. How about the Orange, mm. who have had a great year so far? Regular season win total, though, still up. Uh, projected 8.1 in the preseason. It's 8.4 currently uh, due to the 2-0 start. Good win against South Carolina to open the year. My numbers have UNC minus 7 in this game. So, Brian, I think you said that's right around where the Vegas line is maybe. 69% uh, win expectancy in this one. The offense is still a top 20 unit, and the defense is currently in the low 50s. On the other side, through no fault of the defense here, which has been projecting and performing like a top 10 unit each week, Minnesota is down more than two points in my ratings, more than 10 spots in the rankings compared to the preseason. The offense has been a problem. Uh, I came had them number 52 coming into the year. They're now number 79. So this game pits strength versus strength. It's Minnesota's top 10 defense uh, against UNC's top 20 offense. It's worth noting just from a scheduling dynamic standpoint, North Carolina travels to Pitt next week for their first true road game of the year. I remember that was a neutral site game against South Carolina. First true road game of the year and their ACC conference opener. Given the close call they had just this past week against App State, I don't think the Tar Heels are going to be looking ahead, but Minnesota can and will win this game if they are. So North Carolina cannot be affording to be peeking ahead here. I mean, Brian's saying Minnesota is going to win it outright. So don't peek ahead. Focus on Minnesota. To recap, I have North Carolina minus seven. It's a 31% chance that Minnesota pulls off this upset on the road. Kinger? Yeah, stylistically, I'm pretty excited for this matchup. Now, do I necessarily think it's going to be a great game? No, but I am really looking forward to watching that Minnesota defense try and slow down Drake May and those unproven wide North Carolina wide receivers. The big news this week, no Tez Walker. This guy was who's supposed to be number one, ruled and eligible. Going to give a quick shout out to St. Charles, Illinois' very own Tyler Newbin, starting safety for the Minnesota Gophers. Two picks week one versus Nebraska. This is a guy that's rising up draft boards, and I do think that this Minnesota defense is going to challenge North Carolina this week. And we already talked about Minnesota struggles. I caught some heat on Twitter from some Minnesota fans in the offseason, but Minnesota is very, very limited with QB Athen Kalikamanis. Now, they've struggled to produce the ball. They struggled to produce big plays down the field. This is a North Carolina defense that really struggled last year. It looks like they're doing a little bit better job this year, specifically getting pressure on the quarterback. But I still like Minnesota being able to grind them down in the run game. They've got a couple backs there that have the ability to put up some yards. And I think, I think, 
it's going to be kind of a slow moving, really rely on the run game in this one. And if they are able to get a couple deep throws from Athman in that offense, this puts them in a really good position to really be in this game, potentially win it. That under 50 is very enticing to me. Off the top of my head here, I like North Carolina 21-17 in this one. I think it's close. It's going to be a little bit of a grind at times. But again, this is a good matchup versus a, with a very good Minnesota defense versus a very good North Carolina offense. Brian maybe not doesn't feel quite the same way, but I still think they've got some talent there. King, I think I actually remember specifically the account you're talking about. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, go for Dan. I think he follows the podcast and could be listening to this one. So go for Dan. If you're listening, uh, Kinger has heard you and uh, we'll see how it goes this week down in Chapel Hill. Thank you as always for the interactions. Guys, this next game, I'm going to take it first. Um, it came out to my number three game, my watchability. So I wrote about it for the lines.com. Came out with a watchability score of 8.0. Brian, that game we just talked about, I said Minnesota-North Carolina was very, very close. Also 8.0, came out to decimal points that, that separated these two between me writing about Minnesota-North Carolina or Washington-Michigan State. I fell on this one because of how uh, how the numbers shook out. So for this game, guys, um, Washington, it, it's about Washington for me. Uh, they put up 56-43 and 43 at home against Boise State in a game that I was really excited about in week one that Washington really pulled away in, and Tulsa, respectively, in that second game. The model has seen enough from this Washington offense, preseason number seven offensive unit. They are now number two behind only USC. The defense has also performed better than expected and has risen from number 50 in the preseason for me to now number 33. Uh, the Huskies have to travel across the country, though. It's their first road game of the year to face what should be their biggest test on paper. And that on paper qualifier is very important, guys, because I don't have to tell you, and I'm not even going to go into details on it. This is a college football podcast. I'll stick to the game that's happening. This Michigan State program, though, is mired in this, this sexual harassment allegation against head coach Mel Tucker. The Spartans are number 42 in my power ratings, number 24 defense, number 54 offense. It's truly anyone's guess as to how this team will react to these allegations and, and, and if they will be focused, fully focused, that is, on the Huskies. On Saturday, my numbers like Washington win by 10 and a half. Uh, that is a 78% win expectancy. I think the Vegas line somewhere closer to like 16 or something. I wouldn't be surprised at all if that is where this game actually ends up. My model does not see the off the field things uh, happening at Michigan State. Geez, Michigan State, Michigan, Northwestern, all these Big Ten programs, King, are having uh, some, some issues that they're dealing with off the field. A 22% chance that Michigan State pulls off this upset at home. Not Purdue, not Purdue. You're right, not at Purdue. 22% uh, chance that Michigan State pulls off the upset here at home. But again, I would not be surprised at all if this game ends up being closer to the Vegas line than mine. But guys, to be fair, my last comment on this, to be fair, we have we don't know. Teams can react one of two ways when things like this happen and you have this large disruption. They can either rally together, become even closer as a team, as a unit, what have you, and overachieve the expectations that the public has now reset for them. Or... They can let it divide them, they can crumble, they can become unmotivated, and the season can just totally fall apart and get away from them. I have a lean as to which way I think the situation will go, but it's unfair to Michigan State and those players, I think, to make a determination before we've even seen anything. They're going to be tested right out of the gate here against Washington. Brian, what do you think about this game? Uh, I don't disagree with what you said, and and it is hard to, to say what, especially on the on the Michigan State side of the ball, what they're bringing to the table. So I'm I'm focused on Washington because I also think 
Uh, this is not only just all about them, but really all about what their ceiling can be. This is the kind of game that um, are they every bit as good as, if not better than USC? This it might show up in the numbers this weekend if 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 the answer is yes, because they have an offense that is as electrifying as uh, top end. Um, uh, capable as 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 USC is, and 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 a quarterback, Michael Penix, who 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 maybe, if we aren't going to give it uh, to to the same guy two years in a row, is the front runner, and in some way, he, frankly, I think he should have been more of a, a factor in last year's Heisman race than he turned out to be. So I'm really curious to see again. I'm, I, I want to see what what Washington's capable of. I think they might be uh, the the best team in the pack pack 12 and that's going to show up if they dominate uh an opponent like uh, michigan state this weekend on the road um so i do have michigan i do have washington winning again my numbers i think are a little uh a, a little higher on michigan state than my gut is so i think it, michigan state might stay within 10 points and keep it um a manageable outcome but i'm wondering if instead in reality, we're going to see uh, a, a bit of uh, Washington State running away. I'm watching running away with it, and 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 opening eyes again to how good this team can possibly be. Kinger, what about you? Yeah, you guys are asking all the right questions here, and let's just start by saying this is absolutely going to be a no bet for me. I will be staying away from this one. But if you were to ask me, my gut tells me Michigan State's going to cover 16 at home. I think Mark D'Antonio is going to come in, have these guys fired up. The Michigan State secondary was absolutely atrocious last year. They're looking to take steps this year. It's going to be a challenge this week. Washington already number one pass offense in the country, averaging over 480 yards, pass yards per game. We don't need to go into the details on Penix and that wide receiver core. That is, should be an opportunity that Washington should be able to take advantage of, and they should score some points this week. Now, that being said, I think Michigan State with Noah Kim at quarterback, this is an interesting guy to watch. He brings a dual threat play, ability to make some plays with his feet, taking care of the ball thus far, thus far this season. They've got a really good running back in Nathan Carter. This guy looks like a dude you should keep an eye on here in the Big Ten this year. Now, Washington's defense, they are, are improved. That front seven against the run, very much improved. They are don't have done a good job stopping it thus far this season. That secondary, though, still a little bit untested. And I think Noah Kim's going to have to make some plays with his arms. They've got a good couple receiving threats in Jerron Glover and Trey Mosley. Big plays are going to be important for Michigan State this week. Again, I'm not going to bet this game, but I think Michigan State's going to at least stay in it for two and a half, three quarters. But ultimately, Washington is going to be too much on the road. All right, guys, we're moving on here. Zach, you asked for this game, and I am so glad you did. I love this one. We've got Tennessee going on the road to the swamp to play the Florida Gators. Kinger, we're starting with you. What do you make of this SEC East showdown? Yeah, this is right there with me with Kansas State. Missouri is my two here this week. And these are two teams that I believe the jury really still is out on. I mean, you can make that assumption we're only a few weeks into the season now. But I think both these squads have, have had their ups and downs thus far this year. Florida really teetering on the edge. But I think a win this week in the swamp really does change a season. Let's be honest, this is quite frankly probably one that they have to get if they want to put themselves in a position to – I'd say overachieve their win total this year. They're going to have to get this one done at home. Now, they got bullied by Utah. Hindsight, that was probably a bad matchup for them on the road, but I don't think Tennessee poses quite that big of a threat in the trenches. Florida's going to have to strap the run game. Tennessee, for as up and down as Joe Milton and that pass offense have been thus far this year, they do have the running game going early. They're currently fourth in the nation, rush yards per game, but they have not played a front seven with the talent like the Gators. They've held, quietly held up pretty well against 
against Utah in the run game, and I do think they stand a fair chance of making that difficult on the Vols offense this week. Passing game of Joe Milton, again, definitely not as polished as they would have liked to be thus far this year, but Florida, this is a team that is yet to produce a turnover or takeaway. They haven't done a really good job of getting pressure on the quarterback. This is an opportunity that Milton might be able to step up, and we might see that Tennessee pass offense take a step this week. Tennessee, they are going to have to get after Graham Mertz. They've done a very good job of that thus far this year. Number one in the nation in sacks and tackle for loss. This is a big test for that Gators O-line. Ultimately, I think Florida's going to be able to score some points in this one as well. Tennessee secondary may be a little bit shaky this far, but I am going to take the Volunteers on the road with this one. Six and a half, I'm not sure if I would lay that, but I am confident that they get the win this week. It's my number two game of the week, guys, per my watchability scores. Wrote about it over at thelines.com. I have Tennessee minus four and a half, Kinger. 62% win expectancy. Even though Tennessee didn't look great last week against FCS McNeese, uh, and they're down a point in my power ratings, five spots in the corresponding rankings, I still have the Volunteers as the biggest threat to Georgia in the East. The offense is still top 10 nationally for me. They started the year number three. They're down to number eight right now, but still top 10. Defense has actually been a little bit better than I expected. They've risen from number 35 to number 29. While Tennessee is my number two team in the East, Florida is my number three. And I took some heat for that. They were in the preseason. They are again. I took some heat from that. People saying Florida's not going to be that good. A Florida win this week, it actually flips those numbers right on their head. And I've now got Florida as the biggest contender to Georgia with respect to percent chance to make it to Atlanta, uh, both behind Georgia, of course. But the winner of this game is going to be in that number two spot, uh, at least for the time being. The model's been pretty dialed in on Florida. The Gators have fallen half a point from number 25 to number 31. The offense has remained in the 20s. The defense has remained in the 40s. I'm projecting, again, a wash here probably uh, between the number 29 Florida offense, number 29 Tennessee defense, about as even as you can get in terms of ordinal ranking of those two units, of course. Uh, the difference for me, though, in this one, that number eight Tennessee offense I mentioned, they're going against the number 44 Florida defense. That said, and this is one of the reasons I'm so excited for this game, the Volunteers have lost nine in a row in the Swamp since their last win in Gainesville back in 2003. Guys, Brian wasn't even doing his numbers. The, 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 the Boston College game was 2002, I know, but he wasn't even like fully into that space, and he's been doing this 16 years. It predates that, 2003. That's the last time Tennessee went into the Swamp and came out with a victory. I fully expect the Gator faithful to be out in force and to ensure that this volunteer team knows that. Bottom line, I have Tennessee minus four and a half. It's a 38% chance for Florida to pull off the upset at home and keep this streak alive. Guys, half, half these rosters, half the players on these rosters weren't even born the last time Tennessee went down to Florida and came out with a win. They play there every other year, and it's been 20. Brian, what do you think about this game? It has been a long time, but I don't know if that matters. I mean, I think, I think <laughs> I, I've got Tennessee winning basically in the same manner that they won last year. I mean, they, they, I think it was 38-33. It was um, high scoring. I mean, if we, if, we, if we play the over, I guess, if at least my numbers are kicking that out. I One, I don't know that we know enough about the results of the, so far to, to make broad judgments about either team moving in either direction. I had Tennessee in, in the top 10. They're still right there. I had Florida in the top 25, but – but uh, and they're still right there. I if those teams are about that that skill, then this is going to be and 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 the offense and defense matchup is similar to what you just described. This is going to be a game in the 30s, and it's going to have Tennessee on top. I mean, I, I don't know that I have uh, I don't know if I have the swamp factor and like in in my numbers, but I do think um, I think Tennessee showed me, especially last year. 
um, both just not just the way that the, the, the talent is assembled because they lost some of those pieces, but really more of the way the the offense is constructed that I feel like this is a this is a program that knows what it wants to do and, and is capable of doing it on that side of the ball unless and until they meet a, a team that's clearly better than them, Georgia. It isn't Florida. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm riding Tennessee in this one. Uh, I think I've got it as a touchdown uh, in Tennessee's favor. So I'm right around, uh, right around that number two, but uh, possibly a high scoring affair uh, similar to last year. I love it. To be clear, I'm not factoring in the the 20 year streak either. I just think that's a a swamp factor. I love it. I just think that's a very intriguing storyline. And you know, we're going to be hearing about it on the broadcast. So I just wanted to give everyone that heads up. It is coming and it's going to be hit over the head. You're going to be hit over the head with it time and time again. This final game, guys, it is our fan pick of the week. And Kinger, I'll be honest, in the poll. So basically how this works is Kinger picks two games. I pick two games, and then we let our guests pick a game that they want to break down. We wanted to get a sixth game in there, and King had a great idea. He's like, let's put it out to our fan vote. Let's put a poll out there. So what I do is, okay, we picked five games. Take those out of the equation. I'm going to look at my week three watchability uh, scores. What are the top four games that haven't already been selected? That's what I put in the poll. It works for now. If King ever really wants a game in there, it can he can override it, and we do that. King, one of the games that was in that poll was Syracuse at Purdue. And here I am thinking, hey, two Purdue guys, you know, a lot of our followers on social media, they're our, they're our friends. They're all our Purdue friends. They're gonna, This game's going to win in a landslide. I even listed it first, actually. I don't think it's going to win a landslide. King, they want to talk about the bra- backyard brawl. They want to talk about Pitt, West Virginia. I would be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit disappointed that Purdue, we didn't get the opportunity to talk about Purdue this week, but it's the backyard brawl, so it's understandable. It's understandable. King, uh, I'm very excited to talk about this. And Brian, we're going to start with you as our guest uh, to, to, to represent the fans that we have out there. But I, hey, fans, Purdue fans in particular, if you were hoping we were going to talk about the NBC primetime game of the week, Syracuse at Purdue, Ross State Stadium at night, going to be rocking. You have only yourselves to blame. We are not breaking down that game. We are going to break down the backyard brawl. And I'm actually, you know, I'm really excited about it. Brian, hit us up. What do you think here? Backyard brawl. What do your numbers make of this? I'm going to start by not breaking it down, but more thinking about the history stuff we talked about. I talked mm. about a painful memory in 2002. How about the 2007 game? Uh, you're stealing ball. my notes. Brian, you're stealing my notes. No, <laughs> I should have gone so, first. Yeah. All right, go for it. numbers are the same, but mine go for uh, it. actually have West Virginia as the number one team in the country postseason uh, in, in 2007. So, uh, start the origin of my data all, uh, dates back to there. That game being kind of burned in my memory and played out in again a baffling way uh, 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 was is, is a classic. So uh, maybe it's not going to be quite that type of a thirteen to nine uh, outcome, but I do expect a a, a bit of a slugfest. Uh, not a score in the thirties, but a score in the twenties uh, with Pitt coming out on top. Again, these teams have not gotten off to a great start this year. They hate each other. They, 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 they're going to slug at each other. I, um, I've got Pitt edging out uh, West Virginia uh, in this one. But, uh, but, but I just, I just ragged on you for bringing up the 20 years of swamp history. I'm, I'm going 15 years of, of West Virginia history uh, to say let's, let's, re- let's repeat that backyard brawl and, and get, a, get a game in the, in the, in the low numbers uh, with, a, with another slugfest. Brian, don't you worry. I'm still coming to it in my notes, but we're going to Kinger first. Kinger, uh, what do you make of this game? It's the backyard brawl. Let's go. Yeah, both of these teams, again, we, we be honest on this podcast. That's why it's called We Hate Your Team. Both these teams look like they might have their fair share of struggles this year and maybe doesn't have quite the luster 
of it as some years pass with the backyard brawl. But again, this is one of the most heated rivalries in college football. We know the history here, and this is another one that should be a very high-octane electric environment Saturday in Morgantown. So I do think I like West Virginia in, in the revenge spot here after the game last year. Last year was one they really feel like they probably should have had here. I don't know if I would lay the one and a half at home here. Over under 47 and a half. That's kind of where my mid-20s is what Brian said. That's kind of where I would think this game would go as well. I think looking at last week, Pittsburgh really got torched by that Cincinnati run game, allowed over 200 yards, really not a good performance for them last week. I think I saw enough first from West Virginia week one versus that good Penn State defense to make me think that they are going to be able to get a little bit going in the ground game here. I'm not a huge fan of Garrett Green. He's not a guy I think you want to put too much on his shoulders. But the same thing could be said with Phil Jerkovich and, and that Pittsburgh offense, right? The BC transfer coming in. This was a guy that had high NFL hype a couple years ago. Got injured, really falling off. There's holes on both sides of this ball for both of these teams here, right? So I don't necessarily think we're going to get very, a very polished football game here. I think we're going to get quite a few mistakes, probably some turnovers on both sides here. So I'm going to take the home team in this one. I'm going to take West Virginia on the bounce back to get them this year. I already said it, Brian, I'm going in. I'll never forget 2007. I've already talked about earlier with my favorite college football season of all time. This game stands out to me. Number two, West Virginia, Pat White, Steve Slayton. Talk about a fun team to play with on the NCAA video game. They have a chance to book their place in the BCS national championship game. All they have to do is beat four and seven pit at home last game. And they lose 13 to nine. It was the final dagger in that. Cur I talked about the curse of the number two earlier. Final dagger in that. Guys, Missouri lost on that day, too. Missouri was number one. They lost on that day in the Big 12 championship game to Oklahoma, I think it was. And both the number one and the two lose going into the or going into the final updated rankings to, to select the, the national championship game contenders. LSU had just lost like the week before, I think, and they end up in that national championship game. Not only do they end up in it, they beat my team, Ohio State, and cap off a national championship. Brian, I just looked it up quickly, my historical rankings, uh, ratings that I have on, uh, on, on a spreadsheet. LSU actually just edged out West Virginia from a power rating standpoint as the best team of 2007. West Virginia, my number two team in the final power ratings from 2007. So I had to get that in there since you asked. Um, guys, I love this game. I'm projecting it to be a close one this year. My numbers have Pitt minus one and a half. It's a 54% win expectancy. Pitt came into the year with a 6.7 power rating. That's number 37 nationally. The Panthers are now power rated 6.5 and a number 38 ranking. It's virtually unchanged on both fronts. West Virginia is in a pretty similar boat. Mountaineers started the year 1.9 rating, 55 national ranking. Their K forward ratings actually improved slightly. They're now 2.6, but their corresponding ranking has fallen a couple spots, number 58. It's a good reminder for our listeners. I've talked about this before. I'll probably touch on it a couple more times this year. Rating movement and ranking movement are not the same thing, but if you're going to care more about one than the other, I know people want to go to the rankings. It's the ratings. That's more informative. That's that's what you should care about. So the one and one start, West Virginia fans, you actually should be slightly encouraged if you're going to be anything about what you've done here as your rating has increased just slightly West Virginia has the best unit on the field for me in this one, number 41 on offense. Uh, that matches up really well with the pit defense that I have, number 46. The difference for me is the West Virginia defense. They're the worst unit on the field. I have them ranked number 83. Uh, they have to go up against this pit offense that I have number 43. So, yes, it's in Morgantown. Yes, this is a huge rivalry game. I'm giving the slight edge to the Panthers here. Recapping, I have Pitt minus one, one and a half, 46% chance for West Virginia to get the win at home and get just the slightest bit of revenge from 2007. It will not make up for the hurt that they had, but hey, it is always good 
to beat your rivals. Um, guys, those are the six games that we wanted to dive into. Kinger, it's time for our quick hitters. Anything that uh, that we're not already talked about or that we're going to talk about in the pick them that you want to touch on? We're keeping it real quick this week, and you know I couldn't pass up the opportunity to, to talk about Purdue Qs. I really just couldn't do it. I'm sorry. This is going to be a fun one. Under the lights, as you said, NBC primetime game. Love that the Boilers are getting that opportunity. This is the best quarterback that Purdue's placed, played this year in Garrett Schrader, and Syracuse has looked very, very good these first couple weeks versus inferior impo- opponents. We saw how that game last, ended last year. Purdue was right in until the very end, let up a bomb on the last drive, ended up losing on the road. I anticipate a close game in this one. Purdue's defense finally came. This Ryan Walters, Kevin Kane defense really came to fruition in the second half versus Virginia Tech last week. They're getting two and a half at home. I don't know if I would feel comfortable taking that as a Boilermaker fan this week. I think Syracuse is going to be a good opponent. Um, Watching them versus Schrader, that Purdue defense versus Schrader, that's the matchup to watch this week. I'll be interested to see if we can get some more momentum on the offensive side of the ball. I'm still waiting for Hudson Card to to really take that step there. Um, Haven't seen it thus yet far this season. They got a good quality win, but this is definitely one I'm looking forward to and one I will be tuning into on Saturday night. No doubt it's part of the pick so I'm going to get to what my uh, pick is in that one in a little bit. Brian, any quick hitter for you that we haven't talked about? Well, you started talking about the, the show, talking about how it might be a let, it's seemingly light week in terms of, uh, uh, of matchups, but, and we only get 12, 13, 14 of these opportunities. We also only get 12 opportunities to watch Iowa try to score 25 points, and this <laughs> week, this week, I've got them scoring 29 in my numbers. So let's let's get off the schneid. Let's get let's get ahead of that curve uh, on the Iowa scoring front. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're facing Western Michigan. This is not a game that should be in doubt. But I am going to be glued to that result because we are already off to such a great start in uh, at Iowa uh, on, on the wrong side of that of that of that 325 tracker. So that's what I'm excited about. I love it just so the fans know here, or just so you're tracking 24 at home against Utah State in week one, 20 on the road at Iowa State in week two. Both of those are wins, but yet to hit that 25 margin. I agree, Brian. And everybody, we should shout that out. Offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz, he signed a contract in this offseason in which he agreed that Iowa offense was responsible for, for scoring 25 points a game. Just wanted to clarify that in case anybody was out there was wondering what we were talking about there. (laughs) a hundred percent yes kinger thank you uh incentive bonuses if they if they reach that threshold i think he took a fifty thousand dollar pay cut something like that uh along with this this is the worst defense they're going to face all year brian uh by my numbers i agree with that too you're saying you're projecting 29 i'm actually projecting the line in that game iowa minus 28 i assume your line isn't that high because i'm assuming you're not projecting 29 to 1 i'm 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 projecting like uh 29 to 3 so there you go i'm right i i think i had a uh an even lower total i think i had like a 21 point total against iowa state that they cleared but not by much uh and so we'll see if uh they they get back uh they actually score some points it'd be kind of fun to watch uh them them race ahead and then and then see how that tracks over the, the rest of the year I love it. Brian, if I would have had the patience and foresight, I would have should have asked you to be our guest next week when we have Notre Dame, Ohio State, a massive game for you to break down for your Irish. I can't I can't let you go out of the quick hitters without anything about the game at home against Central Michigan. I know you and your team, you got game day responsibilities, uh, so you'll be working. Anything about this game stand out to you? I make it Notre Dame minus 36 and a half, 99 percent win expectancy. You know, this is probably the worst team I'm looking quickly. Yeah, it's the worst team and the worst defense that that Notre Dame's going to face all year by my numbers. 
they ought to roll, and they uh, and they and I expect they will. Um, but if if the team is anything like a lot of the campus operations folks in the circles that I swim in uh, are already looking ahead to Ohio State because of all the planning <laughs> that goes into that week, I hope they stay focused as a fan. Uh, I hope they do roll. They did look super impressive against uh, overmatched Navy and Tennessee State, so I would expect more of that. Uh, Sam Hartman a- appears to be. Uh, both the, the the seasoned grizzled veteran that all Notre Dame fans were hoping for to be and, and confident and and uh, yeah that Ohio State matchup we're, we're we're already getting excited for it. Um, I'm not I'm not going to make a pick on that one because I'm really looking forward to see what the numbers spit out this week. But if you told me at the start of the year that uh, that it was going to be as close as as my numbers are now going to say it is, I wouldn't have believed you. And so it's kind of fun the the direction that that game has trended over the first three weeks. <laughs> I mean, talk about that game. And I'll, King, we'll talk about it next week. At one point in the summer, I think I had Ohio State minus 13. I don't think that's probably going to make the top six next week, Kelly. <laughs> oh, I can promise you it will make me top six, Kinger. Um, it's the NBC primetime game. I'm going to talk about it for, or writing about it for the lions.com. It'll be later in our segment because we go in chronological order, but we will be talking about it. I think at one point of the summer, Brian, my numbers had Ohio State as high as a 13 and a half point favorite, maybe. Uh, it's all the way down to two for me right now. So we will see. There's still one more week of data to collect uh, before we get to that one, but we are already looking forward to it as well. Let's hope the Irish are not looking too far ahead on the field. Uh, even if they are, we expect them to get it done. But the power ratings won't like it if they don't perform up to the level that we right. expect against the Chippewas. So, um, all right, guys, let's get into our pick'em. We do it every week. The the ten games and the ESPN pick'em competition confidence points one to ten. Use every number once. Ten points is your most confident. One is your least confident. Um, we talked about a lot of these games already, um, but just give us your your winner and your confidence points. This is straight up. This is not against the spread. It's straight up winner. Uh, Brian, we're going to start with you, then we'll do King, then me as we roll through. So first game up, we have Kansas State at Missouri, Brian. I got Kansas State as my nine-pointer. Only a 71% chance of winning, though. There's, there's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of misses uh, in, in this set of 10. But I got about at nine points. I love that, King. I am also K-State with nine points. How about we make it a straight sweep, three for three? I'll take Kansas State for nine points. Uh, I like them. I like them by nine points in the game, uh, nine confidence points as well. 74% win expectancy for me, Brian. So just a little bit more than you on that one. Um, all right, Brian, back to you. We have LSU going on the road to Mississippi State in another game that we broke down. I'm taking LSU, but with only four. I, I'm, I'm a little nervous about that, uh, that trip. Kinger? I'm a little higher LSU for seven. Uh, King, whew, we're two for two. I don't like how this is going. We're going to miss them both. Uh, I've got LSU for seven confidence points as well. I like them in the game by about seven and a half. As I mentioned earlier, that is a 71% win expectancy for me. Brian, I already know your winner in this game because we talked about it, but let's make it official. We've got Minnesota on the road at North Carolina. What are you going with? I'm taking the Golden Gophers with two points. Uh, I got them at 54% and yeah, I'm... <laughs> Again, I'm not putting a lot of confidence in it, but I like pulling an upset, and maybe that'll uh, give me the edge in the end here. I like it. Kinger? I got North Carolina for four. Uh, King, we're finally going to disagree on something, not the winner, but the number of points. Give me North Carolina for six. I don't like being the the biggest confidence points on this game, especially when Brian's on the complete other side. My numbers like North Carolina by seven. It's a 69% win expectancy for the Tar Heels. (laughs) Here's a game we didn't talk about for probably obvious reasons, guys, but it's in the pick'em. King, last year we would have talked about this game. I love our new format. Uh, (laughs) Virginia Tech at Rutgers. Brian, what do you make of this just titanic clash? Yeah, it's huge. Uh, (laughs) Rutgers with with five for me. 
We're gonna Finger? we're gonna keep this this trend going. I also got Rutgers with five. All right, something's wrong. I, this, I is, got well, Rutgers, this is this has never happened for sure. This has not, and I this don't like this, it. The, the stat synergy is happening. I think a little I, bit. Yeah, I, I don't like this. I got Rutgers guys. I got them for five confidence points. I like Rutgers. I like them by about six and a half in this game. It's a sixty-eight percent win expectancy. Uh, listeners, you, you guys know you tune in every week. This does not usually happen. Let's see if we can get some difference here. It's a game we talked about. Uh, oh, it's going to be so good. Tennessee at Florida. It's in the swamp. Come on, Brian. Go with it. The 20 years. It matters. Tell me, what do you got in this one? Tennessee, seven. <laughs> Kinger? Tennessee for six. Okay. All right. I, I'm going to stay with you guys on Tennessee. I'm not nearly as confident. Again, it's not the 20-year thing. I'm just saying that as, as context here. But I'm thinking Tennessee for three confidence points. My numbers like them by about four and a half, as I mentioned earlier. It is a 62% win expectancy for the Vols. Uh, next game. We talked about this one, too. Uh, I love it. It's the backyard brawl. Brian, you, I think you said Pitt in a close one. What are you going here? We've got Pitt on the road at West Virginia. Yeah, give me Pitt with three points on this one. Kinger? West Virginia for two. Ooh, there we go, King. For the first time today, I think we are going to disagree on ours. I'm going to go with Brian, but I'm going to be even less confident than either of you. Give me Pitt, and I'll take them for one confidence point. I like the Panthers by one and a half. As I mentioned, it's a 54% win expectancy for Pitt. King, here you go. Here's your game. Brian, we're going to start with you, though. It is the NBC primetime game of the week. I'll be writing the feature article over at thelines.com for it. Uh, we've got Syracuse going on the road to Purdue. Brian, what do you think? I know you guys aren't going to like it, but I'm taking the cues with one point. All right, Kinger. You doing it? I have cues written down, but I'm taking Purdue for three. I knew it. There was no way. I, <laughs> I, I, I have cues been... right here. I can't do it. I can't do it. I would have been so disappointed if you didn't. I absolutely love that. And Brian, hey, listen, our fans, the people that listen to this show, they know I went to Purdue, and that's my number two team behind Ohio State. I do not pick Purdue unless the numbers say to pick Purdue. I'm going to go with you, Brian, on Syracuse. And I'm sorry, Purdue fans. I'm taking Syracuse with eight confidence points, guys. Oh. My, my number's like the Cuse by eight and a half on the road here. Hey, Syracuse kind of did this last year, too. They jumped off to a great start. They kind of fooled some people. And then they didn't end up being that team that maybe we thought they were in the front half. Guys, I, I can't tell you how impressed my numbers have been with Syracuse. Only Colorado and Florida State have improved their power rating more from the preseason to current. They're the number three biggest gainers there. They are uh, outscoring their opponents by 11.9 points per game more than the average top 25 FBS team would be expected to outscore their opponents. Again, they played Colgate and Western Michigan so far, but they dominated 65-0, 48-7. My numbers are like Syracuse. Um, we'll see. I wouldn't be mad if I'm wrong from a from a fan's perspective. Jeez, I've missed my 10-pointer the last two weeks. It's not, not going to be a surprise if I miss this one, but give me Syracuse for eight, uh, 72% chance for them to win this game. Eight and a half is what I make that spread. Uh, here's the interesting one. Two teams that probably need a win, Brian. We have TCU going on the road to Houston in the Big 12 opener for both of these teams and uh, Houston's first ever Big 12 game. Yeah, my numbers do not like the way Houston started uh, against Rice last week, and they do still like TCU. Certainly there's those priors baked in, so I got TCU as my eight-pointer this week. Same thing. I'll join Brian again, TCU for eight. 
I'll join you guys on TCU. I'm not quite as high on them. Uh, I, I'll, I'll take TCU for four confidence points. My numbers like them by about six on the road at Houston. It's a 66% win probability for the Horned Frogs. I'm looking quickly. Nobody has used this big number, and I have a feeling it's coming next. We've got game day going to Colorado this week. I have to question why game day yeah. picked this. I get it. It's it's Deion Sanders. It's prime time. It's Shadur. It's 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 Hunter. It, I I get it. Okay, but look at who they have the next couple of weeks. They go to Oregon next week. They get USC at home the week after that. If you really wanted Colorado, get one of those games. Why are you going to Colorado? Colorado State. Okay, Colorado State's coming to Boulder. Brian, what do you what do you make about this game? I think I already know. I'm just going to write it down. Yeah, I got Colorado at ten, but I want the record to show that uh, the We Hate Your Team podcast took one hour and twenty three minutes to mention Dion's name, and I think that's that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I agree. I, every other podcast in the country is naming it in the first four minutes, and 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 we we, we took our time. I love that, Brian. And I want to note for the record, Kinger, you correct me if I'm wrong. If they weren't in the pick'em, I wasn't going to mention Deion Sanders today. Nope, not this week. No, we, we're getting plenty of them in the news, and he's getting the respect uh-huh. he deserves. But I think we all Absolutely. are agreeing. Maybe we tone it down just just a notch, just a notch. So, King, King are you going Colorado for ten? Yeah, I assume? they're going to blow Colorado State out. The game day thing doesn't make right. any sense to me. I, I'm going with you guys, too. I'm taking Colorado for 10. I like them by about 20 in this game. And again, I mentioned Colorado just a second ago when I talked about Syracuse. They are my number one biggest mover in the rating so far. It's no surprise. I kind of expected them to be a big mover. I didn't necessarily expect them to come out and beat TCU. I really didn't. So that was an impressive result for them. But the model has a hard time adjusting. And Brian, I'm, I, I'd be curious about yours, too. It has a hard time adjusting to a team that has so much roster turnover in the summer. USC was the prime example in 2022. Colorado's done it this year. So, yeah, give me Colorado, minus 20. They'll probably end up winning by more than that even. 92% win expectancy. Here's what I had to say on radio and any other podcast this week that wanted to talk about Colorado because, Brian, everybody wanted to talk about Colorado. <laughs> I said, hey, they got at Oregon in week four. They got USC at home in week five. If Colorado goes one and one or better in those two games, I'll start talking to you about Colorado as a legit contender potentially in the Pac-12. Until I see them, though, against those two teams, I'm I'm just not ready to talk about Colorado as anything more than a very good team that has improved drastically from last year, although it wasn't very hard. They were uh, incredibly poor last year. I think they were number 125 out of 131 for me at the end of last year. By far the worst Power 5 program uh, in 2022. So we're all on Colorado for 10. Uh, final game, final game of the pick Here we go. It is a late night game. We have Fresno State going on the road to Arizona State. Brian, what do you think? I got Fresno State as my six-pointer in this one. I, I, the Pac-12 is having, having a good year, but not down in Arizona yet. So uh, we'll, we'll ride the Mountain West in this one. Kinger? I'm going back to the Sun Devils here. I picked them last week. It didn't work out. I think they're going to get it done. I think Fresno State's due for a little bit of a low back week. I think Rashada bounces back, so I'm taking the Sun Devils to, to get this one here. And Kinger, it looks like one. is that Yeah, one. Yep, point? correct. Yep. All right. I was doing the quick math across the board here. Uh, I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Brian here, uh, but I'm gonna split the difference a little bit with our confidence. My my two pointers. What's left? I'm gonna take Fresno State two confidence points. They're actually favored in the game for me by two. Fifty-seven uh, percent win expectancy on the road at Arizona State. Um, so all right. That wraps up. I'll get the graphic out and all that stuff. That wraps up our pick'em competition uh, for this week. Kinger. Best bets for the games here in week three. Let's hear them. Yeah, coming off a of four and three week two, small steps, baby. After the one and eight, one and nine opener, we're just going to keep chunking away here. I got four plays, two of them we talked about. I'm going to take Mississippi State plus nine and a half. I'm going to take Kansas State minus three and a half. 
Two other games I'm looking at here. FIU plus seven at UConn. The FIU offense looked like they finally found a little bit of momentum last week. I like them to keep this close on the road at UConn. I'm not sold on UConn's offense ability. I think they're very one-dimensional here. So I like Florida International to keep that one close. And another dog here, South Alabama plus seven at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State has quarterback problems. There's no there's no other way to describe it at this point. They had three guys in the game last week. Nobody really having a, a strong performance. South Alabama has stumbled a little bit that week one game. I know a lot of people were on them when they played. I believe it was Tulane is week one or with Tulane or Troy, one of those two. Fumbled a little bit on this one. I still think the South Alabama defense is very good. I've not been impressed with Oklahoma State thus far this year. So I'm going to take them to keep it close as well, getting seven points. Brian, we always ask our guests, uh, no obligation, any best bets or uh, things to watch from a, from a betting perspective for you this week? Well, I do track, I think I told you, uh, closing lines. It's one of the ways I basically just calibrate my numbers is to say, mm -hmm. are they, I'm not betting the games, uh, uh, but I am trying to see how, how are we measuring against the market? One thing I do I do track on though is, is trends and unders hit in a big way last week and are so far on the on the right side uh of, of the number if you're a betting person through three weeks and i i think unders uh historically uh maybe edge out overs uh overall but last week it was like 65 percent went under so i'm curious if it's the market's not adjusting if it's people not figuring out the new clock rules if it's frankly offense is not clicking at the start of the year i'm going to see if that trend continues I love that. Very insightful betting tips for those um, that are out there inclined to, to do so. Brian, thank you again for joining us. We've, we've been going almost 90 minutes. Kinger and I like promise this year, we're, we're 45 minutes to an hour. I couldn't help myself. It's my fault with the intro, with the questions. I did this. We are past midnight on the East Coast. Brian, I know you have to go to work in the morning. Thank you so <laughs> much for joining us. Please, one more time, remind everybody, where can they find your great work? Check out all my work at bcftoys.com. Follow me on Twitter at bcfromo. Uh, happy to connect with you. Love to love to dig in on data questions when people fire them away, but really just want to keep growing that community. So thanks for having me, guys. And and uh, yeah, have a, let's have another great week of college football. Yeah, Brian, you were a big guest for us. Again, Kelly has already articulated how, how, how much he's wanted to have you on the show. So we appreciate it. With the scheduling conflict this week, you giving us 90 minutes tonight. It was great to pick your brain, hear your story, man. Look forward to connecting with you and uh, appreciate you joining us tonight. He is Brian Fermo, one of the best out there in the college football analytics space. Uh, we are so thankful that he was able to join us. King, I just realized because I was so excited, I was like building up my head. What am I going to say to intro Brian? I totally forgot. My apologies to the VSN Collegiate Network. In our intro, I always say this is the We Hit Your Team podcast, a proud partner of the VSN Collegiate Network. I don't think I said that uh, at the beginning. So VSN folks, I am sorry. Uh, we are a part of the VSN Collegiate Network here on We Hit Your Team. Until next time, enjoy week three of the 2023 college football season.